right. Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Hope Lower Town. Those who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here, and um, we are still in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> uh, we we usually do this every year. We kind of continue the Christmas uh, into the new year, uh, just the, the, at least the uh, the sermon series, and then we'll got a couple weeks of vision, and then we're going to jump right back into Romans. We'll be in. which just, just means birth. And so looking at another person that just points us to Jesus uh, in another way. And so as I was um, studying this, though, I, I was reading in the text that we're going to be looking at, and there was this phrase that came up, remember me. And then um, the, the song popped in my head from, from the movie Coco, um, which it's, a, it's an okay movie. Uh, there's some good music to it, but it's not, it's, you know, it's not Frozen. It's not the Shrek. Shrek's not Disney. That's DreamWorks. doesn't matter. Um, right? So th- it's, it's a good movie, but it's not like, oh, man, my kids are just going nuts over this movie Coco. Um, it just, you know, it didn't, it didn't really, you know, it just wasn't our vibe, right? Uh, nothing wrong with it. But I had the song stuck in my head, which is called Remember Me. And, and so that's a little girl, Coco, who in the movie is the grandma or great-grandma even, and um, the, the little boy who's in the movie, it's like a Day of the Dead thing in uh, and, and, and Hispanic culture, and, and there's a lot of just different different things where like he kind of dies, but the little boy's not dead, and he meets his dad in this underworldly kind of weird place, and then finds out that his dad was the one who wrote this song, Remember Me. And so I just want to read the, the lyrics, kind of the main lyrics of the song. It says, Remember Me, though I have to say goodbye. You remember that? Remember me. Don't let me make you cry. Remember me, right? Uh, For even if I'm far away, I hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you each night that we're apart. Remember me, though I have to travel far. Remember me each time you hear a sad guitar. Know that I am with you the only way I can be until you're in my arms again. Remember me, all right? There's just something about human beings uh, I think in general, for the most part, I don't know if we can just carte blanche everybody into this category, but of, of just saying, yeah, I, we want to be remembered. <laughs> we we want to be remembered and thought highly of, right? We don't want to be remembered in a negative way. We want to be remembered in a, in a positive way, right? Um, that's why if you go to a, a grave site, there are tombstones there because there are people that not only do the, do the loved ones want to be remembered after they're gone, but loved ones that are still alive want to remember in that way. You can see this, the tombstone and remember them. And, and, and normally, again, it's, it's positive, right? Usually on a tombstone, it's beloved brother and husband and, and uh, friend, and right? No one's like, he was a gambler. Uh, he was... You know what I mean? Like he was a scallywag. You don't see those words on scallywag. It's a very popular word these days. Um, you don't see those things on tombstones, right? We, but we want to be remembered in some way, shape, or form. I, I remember going to my grandma's house uh, when I was a kid, and she had all these old photo albums, right? I'm sure probably you, you had that too. And it was so cool. You'd go back and you'd look at these photo albums. And recently I heard a comedian kind of talking about that. You know how crazy it would be if there was like a, you know, a, a, a millennial or, or a gen, what is the next Gen Z? Um, and, and they, instead of like just all their pictures in their phone, if they printed them out into photo albums, you know, and then when they're a grand, grandparent, they're going through with their grandkids, and they're like, this is a photo of my face. And this is another photo of my face. And this, like, this would be crazy, right? You, 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 it would not go very well. The point is we want to be remembered, right? 
uh, we want to be remembered. And the point is that this morning we're going to see in this text that we have a God who will remember us and who does remember us in our greatest hour of need. And so uh, looking at, again, this theme of born unto us, we're going to be looking at a stronger warrior. We're going to be in Judges chapter 13, 3 through 5, really Judges 13 through 16, um, and just kind of a little bit all over the place in the New Testament, but specifically the birth story of Matthew 1, 21. And we're going to compare and contrast uh, Samson, uh, the life of Samson. And we're going to, again, compare and contrast the two. And, and again, when you have a typology, and I've, and I've shared this a few times in the Bible, that, that when you have a typology, we can look at Jesus, we can just go to the New Testament, we can look at the life of Christ and get a really good picture of who he is. But when you compare him then to somebody else who is a savior type figure, it just makes Jesus that much bigger. Uh, and clear, right? If you compare a dog, if I say, hey, I have a dog in front of you, uh, make some observations about that dog. It's okay. It's a big dog. It's a hairy dog. It's a drooly dog, whatever. That's all I can really do. But then if I compare it with a different dog, oh, now his demeanor's differently. This one's got floppy ears. This one's got point, right? You can, you can make observations. And that's all a typology is really doing as we look at Samson compared to Jesus. There are some positives, some uh, very uh, clear similarities between Samson and Jesus, but then some uh, massive opposites that also will pop up in this story as we start looking at, um, at Jesus. And, and we can do this because Jesus does this. Jesus, when he's walking with some disciples after he's risen from the dead, he goes to the Old Testament and he goes to Moses and the prophets and he says, this is all about me. And so Samson, you might not know a lot about Samson. You'll learn a little bit more. We're not going to read the entire account. We could, uh, but we're not, I don't want to insult your intelligence. So you can go and read that on your own time. But it's a, it's a wild story. Some crazy things going on. And yet how is this, this strong man of Samson, how, how can we compare him with, with Jesus? And, it, and once we get to know Samson, just doesn't seem to be like a good outstanding man. And so how are there any comparisons? And so before we, we jump in, it's hard to just jump into a book like this without giving any kind of background information. So I just want to um, real quick kind of give a Judges 101. Who were the judges? Why were the judges uh, there in Israel? And so there is a, a theme that happens in the book of Judges, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Um, they have this kind of this theme. They all, they all are overlapping uh, in timelines. You've got a lot of different people uh, that are judges even at the same time. And so We'll, I'll, I'll show a graph here for that in just a second. But what happens is they fall into idolatry, the nation of Israel. This is, this is God's chosen people. They've already been set free uh, from Egypt. They're now dwelling in what is the promised land. Um, they are not united as a nation. There are 12 different tribes. This is before King Saul uh, and then King David. And so they're, they're just kind of not, they don't have a leader. And so, but they fall into idolatry from these countries and these nations that are around them. Um, and then they become oppressed. They become enslaved. They become uh, oppressed and, uh, physically, spiritually, whatever it may be. Um, and then they cry out and they cry out and they say, God, remember me, right? Help, help me in my hour of need. And then there is a deliverance that happens in the form of what is called a judge. Uh, some individual man or woman who is blessed and given uh, the power by God to set Israel free and redeem them again. And then this just happens over and over and over and over again. Uh, one author says this, prior to the time of Samson, the Philistines had played a small but significant role in the historical developments of Southern Palestine. 
When Ramses III turned back the invasion of sea peoples in 1194 BC, this caused many of the Philistines to settle uh, the coastlands of Southwest Palestine. They joined the early Minoan settlers and became a significant military force in the years that followed. The judgeship of Samson began about 1069 BC and continued until about 1049 BC. The historical information provided by the monuments of Ramses III helped to provide the cultural and military background for the events in the time of Samson. So we have this graph, right? And I know you can't read it and that's okay. I just wanted to show that there's not, they're not just, that a lot of these uh, characters overlap. And so on the graph, that green block is, is Samson, same time as Jephthah um, and a couple other uh, uh, judges that also are there. Um, and then the bottom one, that light blue one, if you're familiar, we had the book of Samuel, first and second Samuel, that's Eli and Samuel. And then that blue one way up at the top, the darker blue one, that's King Saul. And so they would have overlapped as Samuel being the, the priest there. And so just kind of want to give you a little bit of timeline. Maybe you're like, I don't even know what's going on. That's okay. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But for me, it, it kind of helps kind of put, put the pieces in place of where we're going to be um, this morning. And then, um, and then where we're going to be also just on the map, you have Jerusalem uh, highlighted there. That's in the tribe of Benjamin, as you can see. And then kind of hidden behind the other block is Dan. We're going to see that uh, Samson was from the tribe of Dan. It was about 15 to 18 miles just straight west of Jerusalem. Um, and then just, just right over, you're gonna, that's where the Philistines were dwelling. They, they controlled that area and that land uh, on the coast by the Mediterranean Sea. Okay, that's all. All right, let's, let's, get into the, let's get into the text. Let's look at this birth announcement. We're gonna see some similarities in the birth announcement. This is Judges chapter 13, verse one. It says, again, the Israelites did this, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the theme again in Judges. It just kind of starts off each chapter, not each chapter, but most of the chapters say, and again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. This is a major theme in the Old Testament. We don't have time to, to look at this, but uh, a lot of uh, Hebrew Israelite women uh, that we see their cries and they're, they're, they're uh, unable to uh, conceive. Uh, Sarai, Sarah in Genesis 16, Rebecca in Genesis 25, Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. And then the New Testament, we have Elizabeth, who is gonna be the mom of John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, um, in the same boat. They're just unable to conceive. And then verse three, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. This idea of the angel of the Lord, it, it, it pops up every once in a while in the Old Testament. And a lot of scholars believe that the angel of the Lord is what's called a theophany. Theophany is just a fun word, theo, God, and then I guess phony means manifestation. I don't know, wild guess here. Um, a theophany though is a manifestation of God to people, okay? So before Jesus is in the flesh, that a lot of people would say, oh, this, this is, the, this is the, the second member of the Trinity. This is uh, the, the son of God taking on some kind of physical form before he becomes a human being and shows up. And he's the angel Lord. And so he shows up, he appears and he says, as a messenger of, of Yahweh, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth. And then we have, then in Luke chapter one, just the similarities in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name 
was Mary. So you have a descendant of David, but you have then also an Israelite, uh, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And we know this story, right? We've probably read it 20 times over the last month of that you're gonna have a son, right? And there's a lot of similarities to this and some miraculous uh, conception that's going to happen in this case. And then as we go back to uh, Judges, uh, we see that the angel of the Lord, this Theophany says, now see to it that you, the mother of Samson, drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is, is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. What in the world is this Nazarite? Nazarite in Hebrew, all the research I was able to do, just means dedicated. It means consecrated, separate, uh, devoted. Um, that a lot of times that there's a hair of consecration is what it's called, that there's something really significant about the hair. And so if you do the little, right, all those little footnote, click, double click on that, and it's gonna take you the two numbers of this, uh, uh, of a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? You can read all of Numbers chapter six. There's a lot of restrictions when it comes to being a Nazarite, someone dedicated and set apart specifically for the service of God. Um, and, but there's three main things. So I just kind of uh, chopped those, those pieces up and it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. And he's gonna go on and be like, don't even eat raisins, right? If it comes from the vine, don't touch it. Uh, don't drink anything out of wine skins or, 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 or out of grape skins and leather and all this stuff. Like don't touch it, nothing to do with grapes. Um, and then, the, so, so no, no drinking, right? That's, that's, that's rule number one. Number two, during the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over and they must let their hair grow long. So we're given a little bit of glimpse into this vow as well. This can be a temporary vow. Uh, maybe we might look at this uh, culturally now, maybe as a time of fasting. Uh, I'm going to sacrifice maybe some food or whatever this thing may be so that I can focus uh, uh, my, my thoughts and my intents on what God would have me do. And so this, this doesn't seem to be a permanent thing. Uh, it could be a period of time, months, years at a time. But for Samson, this is gonna be different. It's gonna be his whole life. It seems that he's gonna have this vow to God. So not allowed to, not allowed to cut your hair. Uh, is one of the rules. And then the last one, uh, throughout the period of the dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Uh, throughout the period of the ded dedication, they are consecrated to the Lord. It goes out like even if their parents die, if they're consecrated, they, they cannot be near a dead body. So those are the kind of three aspects when it comes to Samson being a Nazarite, being dedicated to God. Samson is going to be different. He's going to look different. He's going to act differently. He's going to stand out from uh, the average person. So then what are they going to do? In Judges chapter 13, three, uh, 13, four through five, it says, this is verse five, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of, of the Philistines. Again, this, these people who are oppressing Israel, hey, he's a judge. He's going to take the lead in it. 
And he's known, just the, the stories are wild. The people that he, the Philistines that he destroys with, a, with the, the bone of a, of a, of a donkey um, and, and all these different feats of strength that Samson does to be able to uh, vanquish his enemies and deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. But yet how much more uh, do we see Jesus? That when you have Israel in this time crying out for help, you have Samson then who physically is going to deliver Israel. Um, and yet we see Jesus in Matthew 1, 21, as the angel again is speaking to Mary, she will give birth to a son, or excuse me, the, the angel's talking to Joseph and they're talking about Mary. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, because he will deliver his people from their sins, right? It's a, that is a drastically different comparison. You have Samson who's gonna deliver uh, his people from the Philistines. And then you have Jesus who's gonna deliver his people from their sins, right? As people are, are crying out, right? God, deliver me, save us. And they're, they're under occupation. They're under Roman occupation. And I'm sure that their prayers and their cries went out, help us deliver us from these Romans but he doesn't, he's not gonna answer their prayer the way that he does with Samson. He's gonna do so much more. That he's not just gonna physically deliver them, which is not Jesus's goal, but he's gonna deliver them from their sins. He's gonna save them from themselves. Again, another comparison that we see in this text that is just wild. This was new to me as I was reading this. In Judges chapter 13, verse 17, it says that Manoah, that's uh, his dad, Samson's dad, inquired the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? And he replied, why do you ask me my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on the rock to the Lord. And the Lord, again, Yahweh, did an amazing thing. All right, it's the way, another way that that word's translated is a, is, a, is a wonderful thing. While Manoah and his wife watched as the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. And this is, it's a, there's, it's a very real and raw account that happens right here with his parents. That as they see this happen, they freak out, right? Because they're like, we just saw God. We're all gonna die, right? They're, they're losing their minds. And then, and then his mom, Samson's mom's like, I think if God wanted to kill us, wouldn't we already be dead by now, right? And they're like, oh yeah, man, that's a good point, right? It's just this wild interaction that happens. But that word amazing, this wonderful thing that God does, this theophany, this physical manifestation that God does, something awe-inspiring that I cannot explain with words what I just saw. It's wonderful. And this word is not used that often in the Old Testament, but one place that it is emphatically used is then talking about not the theophany, but the actual physical manifestation of Jesus in the flesh, the Messiah in Isaiah 9, verse six. It says, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Right? He's gonna be awe-inspiring. He's gonna do things that people simply cannot explain. He's gonna do these acts, not like Samson for political gain or for popularity. He's gonna demonstrate who he says he is. And that is, I am the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And people are gonna stand in awe and wonder at the sacrifice of Jesus makes for sinners rather than 
right? Think about how little we know about Samson. He was, in all accounts, this warrior king, right? He could have he done so much. He was this big, powerful man, and yet we don't really talk about him. We don't talk about him as much as the one then who sacrifices himself for our sins. So again, what, will, what did they do? And we could, again, just sit here and we could read the account. I'm not going to do that. But we see that Samson gives into his temptations over and over and over. Again, the three aspects of the Nazarite vow were no drinking, uh, no touching of anything that's dead or being near anything that's dead, a dead uh, body in some way, uh, and no cutting of your hair. That's part of the vow. And yet over and over and over in the life of Samson, we see that he breaks these things continually. It talks about he goes to these feasts. And, and when you really dig into it, it was, it was wild to think that they were literally drinking feasts. I think we can all imagine what that would have entailed. Uh, and so that, that's just what he does. He goes and he goes, he goes to these just raging drinking parties. And it's like, Samson, that's like number one on the list that don't do that. And he does it over and over again in, in, the, in the story. We also then, he's not allowed to be by dead bodies. And that image, that first picture I showed you was Samson. And it says that he killed a lion with his, with his bare hands. And it just these, these stories are, are, are just wild, right? It's just his strength. So he kills this lion um, and he's going to this drinking party. And, and then several months later, he comes back and he sees the lion's dead carcass, these bones of the lion. And there's a, a honey beehive in there. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna go get some honey. So now he, he's now touching this, dead carcass, which is, okay, that's number two. And then he comes up with this whole riddle and he gets, he like, it's, it's wild. It's, just read it, okay? So he does all of that. But then the final thing, right, is the cutting of the hair. And there's this big story. He falls in love with Delilah, right? What's that? Isn't there a song about Delilah? Not like, hey there, Delilah, what's it like in New York City? There's another one. What's the other one? What's the other one about Delilah? What is it? Why Delilah? That's not what I'm thinking either. It could be. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Here's the point, right? He falls in love with this woman named Delilah and she is offered a lot of money, right? Like 5,000 silver coins. I don't know what that translates to today, but a lot of money, a huge sum of money to figure out how is Samson so strong? The images that we have of Samson is usually, again, some big strong man. I don't know if that was the case. I think he just looked like a normal dude uh, because then it says that anytime he does something wild, it says the Holy Spirit then empowered him, right? And so I think people are like, how is he doing this, right? I don't think he's walking around looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Uh, I don't think he's just this massive guy who's like, clearly I destroyed you because I'm huge. I, I don't think that's what's going on. There was something miraculous going on here that Samson was given the strength. And so the Philistines go to Delilah and they say, hey, we'll give you all this money if you figure out how he's so strong. And he comes up with all these wild stories and lies and he's laughing and he's trapping all these uh, people and killing these Philistines and then when they're trying to capture him. And then for whatever reason, he tells her. He finally tells her, he's like, actually, it's my long hair. If you shave my head, I will lose all my strength. And what does she do? She shaves his head and he's captured by the Philistines, right? Samson, again, gives into his temptations over and over and over. That's what he did. That's what he's known for. It's what he's remembered for. One thing, though, that I need to uh, mention here in this text is that this passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. This happens a lot. Uh, you go on TikTok, you go on YouTube, and you'll be like, just people, these straw man arguments, right? Oh, well, God, God was all for, uh, you know, polygamy, right? And it's like, uh, no, he wasn't. 
He didn't say anything about you should marry multiple wives. Matter of fact, it's always one wife. He's always about monogamy. And yet it's like, oh, well, he, he did all these things. So how can you worship God like that? It's like, it's, it's describing the events that happened, right? Samson is not someone that we want our children to be like, I want to be like Samson someday. He's in the Bible. This is God's word. Therefore we should be like, no, that's not what's happening. It's not prescriptive. It's not telling us how we should live. It's describing the events that took place. These are historical books, period. And yet they describe something about Jesus in that way. So again, what did they do? What did Jesus do specifically? As opposed to Samson, when he is Samson over and over and over, when he's tempted, he gives in. He gives in, he gives in constantly. He doesn't even try to put up a fight. But Jesus, we see in Luke chapter four, one through 13, when he is tempted, there's a different outcome. Again, if you go back to Luke chapter four, we read about his baptism. He's baptized by by his cousin, by John the Baptist. And as he comes up out of the water, a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. This voice says, this is my son. Next verse, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, the river where he was baptized and was led by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. At the end of the days, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, here it is, same temptation he gives all of us all the time, every day, if you are the son of God. Whoa, I just heard, this is my son. And now the devil's saying, if you're the son of God, right? He always wants us to doubt what God says. Well, I know that's what the Bible says, but is that really what that means? If. He wants us to doubt what God says over and over and over. His tactics have not changed because his tactics work on us. We doubt what God says. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, three times he asked that question, if you're the son of God, right? he's saying, prove it. But you're, you're clearly doubting, are you really the son of God? You know, let's, let's find out right now. Let me, let me tempt you in this way. He said, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels. And now the devil is using the Bible uh, to tempt Jesus. He will come in as angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all the tempting, he left him until an opportune time. What's wild, I remember in, in I think I was a sophomore in high school at Southside Baptist uh, School, SSCS, Southside Christian School, excuse me, not Baptist, Christian. Um, and I remember I was in a, in, a, in a Bible class and Mr. Bell was teaching. I remember we were reading through this passage and, and I remember he said, it's, it's wild to me that Jesus in these moments quotes the Bible. He's like, do you realize if Je- no matter what Jesus would have said in that moment, it would have become the Bible. It would become a new verse, but he doesn't make up something new, right? He could have said anything and we'd be quoting it now, but he's like, but he doesn't. He goes back and he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes the word of God. He quotes the scriptures. Obviously a very severe contrast, right? Between Samson and Jesus. But then again, what else did they do? 
Because what we do see is that they both sacrifice themselves. And, and initially in this uh, slide, I had they both sacrifice themselves for the sake of others. But then as I reread the story, I realized that Samson's motivation is very different than Jesus. Samson's motivation uh, is not at all uh, sacrificial in the sense uh, that we see of Jesus. And so skipping to Judges chapter 16, verse 23, it says this. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to celebrate. So at this point in the story, Samson has already been shaved. He's weak. Uh, he can do nothing to defend himself. And he's taken captive by the Philistines. They pluck out his eyes. And so he's blind. And so that's what's happening now. They're celebrating their God Dagon who has won this huge battle over their uh, enemy's God of, of Yahweh and over Samson. And they worship Dagon. It says, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. And when they were in high spirits or high on spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. I don't know what, I don't know what he performed. Maybe a little Shakespeare. Uh, we don't really know, but he did something to entertain um, this, this drunken, drunken stupor of the Philistines as they're celebrating and worshiping their, their half fish man, God, Dagon. And when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held uh, his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, here it is, remember me. There's this phrase, right? So he said, sovereign Lord, remember me, but then listen to the caveat. Please God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Right? Hey, remember me in my suffering, but give me the strength because they took my eyes away. Right? I, like, like, I want revenge. I want vengeance. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars in the temple, stood, embraced himself against them, his right hand uh, on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple and the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. That you have this Samson, right? And in his final breath, this warrior defeats his enemies by spilling their blood. But Jesus defeats his enemies by spilling his own blood. In Luke 23, 38 through 43, we have Jesus on the cross. And he's in between two criminals, says, and there was written a notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews, just mocking him. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what, uh, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Remember me. That is like a a simple salvation prayer. Jesus, just remember me. I I need, you're the one who has to do this. I can't do anything. I'm literally nailed to a cross. I'm dying. Remember me when you go to your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Remember me. Jesus promises that he will remember us. He will remember us in our suffering. He will remember us in our persecution. He will remember us in injustice. He'll remember us in our weakness and and on a moment of weakness. He promises to remember us. Now our our salvation, our vindication might not be the way that we want it to be. We might need to remember me. I'm in debt. I'm, I'm hurting, whatever it may be. And our answer might not come the way we want. But Jesus, again, doesn't come just to physically set us free from pain and suffering and turmoil. He comes free to set us, he comes to set us free from our sinfulness. And so we can cry out, remember me in our time of weakness, in our time of sinfulness. And he will say, I will. We know this because in Hebrews chapter 10, we have another phrase of remember, but it's different. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Again, we talk about these big theological terms of justification and sanctification. And verse 14 is emphatically clear that by one sacrifice of Jesus, he has made perfect forever. He has made holy forever those who are in the process of being made holy. He saves us. It's as if we've never sinned and yet we walk and follow Jesus. The gospel is a path, something that I work on every day to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds their sins and lawless acts. Here it is. I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, the sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Every week at Lower Town, we remember Christ and his sacrifice in communion. It says that his sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We're not doing some sacrifice up here, that we're not physically eating Jesus's body. We're not physically drinking his blood. We are remembering what it is that Christ did. Why? Because he promises to not remember our sins their sins and their lawless acts, I will remember no more. And that is why week after week after week, we remember the fact that he doesn't remember. We remember that our sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus, that he has forgiven us. And so in our acts of, of crying out, God, forgive me, deliver me from this oppression, from my sin, he says, I will And you might fight this sin the rest of your life, but there's going to come a day when you are going to be freed from sinning. And this flesh that we wear that is so prone to wander, so prone to leave the God that we love. 
And so we remember. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to take these elements with us this morning. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but if you would say, yes, Jesus is my King. He died for me. I want him to remember me and I don't want him to remember my sins. And he promises that that will be the case. If that's true of you, then I would love for you to take these elements with us this morning. Again, the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us, the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us, his blood that is shed to redeem us. There's nothing that we can do to add or to take away from the finished work of Jesus. And so we simply remember. You are remembered and your sins are not by the greatest warrior king who ever lived and will live. He is a greater warrior not because he sets me free from my oppressors and different aspects that might be true of my life, but he sets me free from my sin and gives me rest for my soul. I don't have to put my head on my pillow every night and wonder what's going to happen to me tonight when I die. I can know and I can rest in my soul knowing that he promises to not remember my sins because he's paid for them with his blood. Let me pray in the worship team, or Andrew this morning is going to come back up, and we are going to uh, sing a few songs, and as we take these elements together, would we remember the fact that he doesn't remember our sins? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can look at the life of Samson. Look at the folly, and it's so easy to look at Samson and be like, what a, what a fool. He was given so much. He had so much talent and abilities, that your spirit was with him. And we can so quickly point the finger at Samson and be like, man, I would never do that. And yet we do the same things all the time in our own way. That we too have the spirit of God that dwells inside of us and we continually choose to sin and therefore we choose to suffer. We pay the consequences of our actions rather than give them to you, rather than let your son pay for them. But God, you've promised that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness, all of our sins. And that we can be declared holy and innocent and righteous while we continue our process of becoming holy. God, we love you. And as we take these elements, just pray that um, our worship to you would be heard. Uh, that our voice to you of remembrance and thanksgiving for the sacrifice of your son uh, would be evident to you. Uh, God, we love you and pray now that we lift up our voices and our minds and hearts that you would uh, be honored and glorified. And it's in the name of your precious son that we pray of Jesus. Amen.